My name is Pastor Mike, and uh, family and I have been on vacation for the last couple Sundays, and I appreciate your all's prayers for us if we've traveled and just our time together as family and uh, just the refreshing and refocusing, uh, re-energizing that happened. And that's kind of one thing I look for in vacation is not only getting away from family and getting away from planning and scheduling things, but just to really focus on my relationship with God and, and my pursuit of Him. And that really comes into play with where we are this morning uh, as we dive back into Joshua, if we're wondering if we're going to finish Joshua ever, the answer is yes. Uh, the goal is before the year is out, uh, actually before Thanksgiving. So uh, buckle up because we're going to kind of speed up a little bit. If you've been with us in the last year, uh, we've taken about a year to get to chapter 6. And so we have a ways to go, but I promise we're going to get there. Uh, we are in chapter 6 this morning, dealing with the fall of Jericho. And I don't know about you, but I love this time of year. Um, and I know if you're a teacher or you work for the school, this is not your favorite time of year, but I love this time of year because as I heard on the Christian radio as we were driving back from vacation, a man called in and made a statement. If you hear it on Christian radio, it has to be truth, right? I mean, it becomes canon. And so he stay, said that this is now uh, the best weekend of the year because it launches, there's football every weekend now till February. And I was like, amen, play the worship song, let's go, uh, because I love football. Um, yeah, there you go, we got the chops in the back. Um, and I just, I enjoy watching it. My wife doesn't care for it. She actually says I do not watch football. I actually sleep through football. It, just, it relaxes me, right? Right, coach? It just relaxes you. I mean, it just brings a sense of relaxation that nothing else can bring. Um, but every year, you know, college is our uh, return to camp and started their practice. Obviously, NFL is up and going. High school in Missouri starts tomorrow, so be in prayer for our students and, and, and Coach Hester as he prepares for that. And, but every year, they all rally with this aim for what? The big game, right? They don't, nobody starts a season hoping that they're going to lose every single game. They all go in, you know, we're going to win every game. We're going to be conference champs, districts champs. We're going to make the playoffs. We're going to make a run. We'll be state champs by the end of the year. It doesn't matter how the last season ended. That's what everybody's hopes and dreams are. It's just the, the idea that anything is possible within this next year. And so that's why many of us tune in every single year to watch football, whether it's NFL or go watch the high school player, middle school or, or the college, whatever it is. But if you're like me, as I was thinking back about last year in the football season, it seems once we got into the championship game, uh, whether it's the national championship for college or the Super Bowl for the NFL, it was just a letdown. Anybody else feel that way? We had small group for Super Bowl, and so we had our small group over, and we ate like kings and queens on that night. Um, but I remember as we were coming in, and I, Joe, I, I remember asking you, man, I hope this game's good. You know, I, I hope this is worth watching. And if you remember the Super Bowl, um, you remember it was not. <laughs> it was the most boring Super Bowl in history, along with the commercials, the most boring thing, and then the national championship. Now, I enjoyed seeing Alabama get whooped. I really did. But it was so lopsided that it was hard to stay with the whole game. And it, it's funny because that is kind of what Jericho is, which is odd. I mean, in Joshua chapter 6, from Joshua chapter 1 through Joshua chapter 5, everything seems to be leading up to Jericho. 
Joshua sends spies into Jericho to check out Jericho, the city, and all the land. It's, it's there they meet Rahab, who gives them this uplifting report of how people are fearing the Israelites and what God has done for them. In the end of Joshua chapter 5, we find Joshua himself near Jericho, checking it out for himself as the rest of his army is healing. And everything seems to lead up that this is going to be some epic battle, some epic event on the level of Helm's Deep if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, or the level of Endgame if you're a Marvel fan, or the level of Saving Private Ryan if you're a war movie fan. It just seemed like everything was building up to this incredible event, but it ended up a lot like the championships from last year's football season. Even though it's known as the Battle of Jericho, or maybe your subtitle in chapter 6 is the Fall of Jericho, you really call it the not quite a Battle of Jericho. Now who here would say you're familiar with this story? You've at least heard it once in your life, or you've seen the VeggieTales rendition of it, right? <laughs> so we're, we're pretty familiar with this story, and there are stories in the Bible I think we're very familiar with. We're familiar with like the Red Sea, and Moses, and Ten Commandments, and the plagues, and, and, and Jonah, and that big fish, and Daniel in the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are stories we all become familiar with if we've grown up in, in the church, or even if we've been around church people. We've heard about these strange stories, and the thing that I've learned in my own life, because being familiar is good, but sometimes when I become familiar with a story or an event, I miss the lessons that God is wanting me to learn from that event. And I think we're all in danger of doing that with Jericho. And so you may be here this morning like, you know, I've read Jericho, I've heard Jericho, I've seen Jericho. If you would just hang out with me for a little bit and hang out in God's Word and see what God wants to unfold for us this morning on this familiar story that has so much truth and so much to, to go into our lives so that we may live a life that is holy and pleasing to Him and ultimately bringing Him glory. We're going to pick up in chapter 6. And as I mentioned, I've been gone for two Sundays, so I'm really wanting to read the whole chapter. So uh, read along with me. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Um, and if you're in a different version, that's fine. I'll let you know verses as we go along. But read in chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 1. And the word of the Lord says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. And none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every one straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. Verse 8. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, and with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout, 
or make your voice be heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns for the ark of the Lord, walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into camp, and so they did for six days. Verse 15. And on the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times, it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers, and all who belonged to her. And they brought her all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire. And everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron, they put it in the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for your word. Thank you for what your spirit is going to do in our lives right now, whether we know we need it or not. Father, you are the God who searches our inmost beings. You know everything about us. You know our struggles. You know our joys. You know the things that we bring before you now that that we're wrestling with, the lack of faith we may have in this moment. You know exactly where we are in our relationship with you. There's nothing in this place that is hidden from your sight or your wisdom and your knowledge. And Father, I lay down before you and ask that it not be me that speaks to your people, but it be your word and your spirit that speaks to our hearts, for that is what needs to be impacted. We need our hearts to be changed and transformed more to be like you. Father, so be our shepherd. Guide and lead us through the places we need to go. Let our ears be attentive to what we need to hear. Our hearts be softened so that your seeds may take root. And Father, I pray for your forgiveness. Where we may have, may have fallen short. Where we may not have lifted you up in glory. We may have made this time about something other than you. 
Father, you alone be glorified. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in each and every life, including my own. Mold us and make us into who we need to be before we leave this place. And praise on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's go back to the beginning. We're going to kind of work our way through this passage and see what is going on and see how this actually applies to our life, even though it's obviously thousands of years ago. Verse 1, we read that now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. And none went out and none came in. And I want us to pause for a moment and deal with the physical state of Jericho. And one question we can ask as we go through Scripture is, why is Jericho so important? Why does everything seem to lead up to this event? Why does everything seem to point to chapter 6? Why does the event of Jericho flow over into chapter 7 as we'll get to next week? Why is Jericho so pivotal for Joshua to take as he leads Israel into the promised land, as he leads Israel into this promise that God has put upon his people through Abraham? Well, the answer, if you were to see a map, and I'm sorry I don't have a map for you, but you can see as they would cross the Jordan River, first off, Jericho is going to be the very first city that they're going to encounter. And so the very first city is you want to have victory, just as the very first games as football kicks off is they want to have a victory. You want to start on a high note. The problem is Jericho is also a very pivotal city within the promised land, is that it's on the crossroads. Every road goes through Jericho. If you want to go north, south, east, or west, you would come through Jericho, which why some people believe it was a fortified city, that if attackers came from the north, Jericho could be a stronghold to hold them back as the army rallied from the south or from any other direction. And so as Joshua comes and he looks at Jericho, he comes to this crossroads where he's got to decide, how are we going to take this city? And we read that the city was shut up inside and outside. And that reading for us, as we're reading from 2019, is to step into Joshua's uh, understanding that to take Jericho in its current condition is next to impossible. Yes, Israel had this massive army, and it was possible that we could do a frontal assault on this city, but we would definitely meet heavy casualties as we would come into the open plains in, the, in Jericho and we'd be shot down upon them. We also read that they were shut up because of the people of Israel. It lets us know Joshua is the commander. There is no element of surprise in taking Jericho. Jericho is fully aware of who Israel is and now that they are in the land. They are fully aware of what Israel is intending to do. But if you look at this, and it seems like Jericho is this massive fortified city and everything points to Jericho being this epic battle and this epic event, when you read that they're shut up inside and outside and that no one was coming in and no one was going out, what we read is that Jericho appeared to be this strong, powerful city, but the reality is Jericho was a city living in fear. And they were city living in fear because the presence of God was not upon them. The Israelites were walking in victory. God had already promised, I am giving you this land. He tells Joshua here, I am giving Jericho to you in verse 2. In the physical state of Jericho, even though they appeared strong, even though they appeared mighty, even though they appeared powerful and an impossible task, they were city living in fear, and that fear caused them to make a very strategic military error. As a king... In verse 2, summon all of his army, his mighty men of valor, and all of its people. And he placed them within inside the wall. And so as Joshua is near Jericho, and we have to remember he's having this conversation with the commander of the army of the Lord. And he looks out at Jericho and he sees this incredible fortified city. 
God wants Joshua to see Jericho the way God sees it. See, Joshua is probably overwhelmed by his worries. And at times when we get overwhelmed by our worries, this is what we do. Our worries become bigger than our God. God obviously doesn't know what's going on because I've got this in my life that I can't seem to handle. And so we begin to make those explode and become bigger than what they should be. And so God comes to Joshua in this moment and says, look, they're shut in. They're, they're inside and out. No one's going in and out. The king, he's called all of his army, all of his people, and he's put them in the city. Do you see, verse 2, do you see, Joshua, what I've done for you? I place such a fear in their hearts that the king has actually put all of his people in one place. They're like fish in a barrel, Joshua. Joshua, they're right there for the taking. You're not going to have to hunt them down. You're not going to try to figure out who they are or where they're going. I've put them all right there to be found easily. But it only speaks of the physical state of Jericho in verse 1 and 2. But the, spirit, or the physical state, but the spiritual state of Jericho. Again, they were shut in and shut out. A lot of people have issues with Joshua... The book of Joshua in the Old Testament, this, this phrase of being devoted to destruction. Because how could a loving God do such a thing? But we have to take Scripture as a whole and then understand what this command was about. See, God commanded Jericho to be devoted to destruction because this shutting in and shutting out was a representation of their heart. It was a representation of their ears. We have to remember in Joshua chapter 2, when Joshua sends the spies into Jericho and they meet Rahab, Rahab confesses to the spies, we have heard of the mighty things that your Lord has done for you. We have heard of the Red Sea. We have heard of Egypt. We have heard of you coming through the wilderness. We have heard how God is full authority and full powerful and full, fully sovereign and fully holy. We've heard of these things. But you notice it is only Rahab in chapter 2 who submits to the authority of God. The city of Jericho shut themselves in. They shut themselves out. They've heard of the news, but they don't want to respond to the news. And a lot of us may be here this morning. That's exactly what we do every single Sunday. We hear of the power and the authority and the sovereignty and the holiness of God. And we hear it over and over again, but we don't respond to it. Our ears are shut. Our hearts are shut in. We've built a wall in places we don't want God to go. That's what Jericho is. They're a city that does not want God. And so God devotes this city to destruction for the sanctity of his people. How do we respond to people in our life who do that, though? I imagine we all have people in our life that you try to share the love of Christ, you try to share the love of God, you may even try just to invite to some sort of church event and get them to come and hear about the gospel and hear about the Bible, and yet they're shut in, they're shut out. Nothing's going in and out. There's, there's nothing they're willing to hear. Nothing is willing to change them. So how do we deal with that in our own life? Well, what does God give Joshua on how to deal with the city of Jericho? He tells them to march around. He tells them to be visible. Notice chapter 6 in the fall of Jericho is not a military strategy of attack. There's no issue for attack. This is a ceremonial March, which connects the fall of Jericho to chapter 5 with the Passover and the act of circumcision. And so the people of God were simply to be visible to Jericho for seven days and to the point that they would shout the power of God over Jericho. In our own life, if you've encountered people that are just, I don't want anything to do with that, all we can do is simply continue to be visible in their life, not to attack, 
Simply be visible. Simply love on them. Simply pray for them until the opportunity comes that we can shout the power and love of God into their fortified hearts. God's plan is simple. I can't imagine. Can you imagine what Joshua was thinking as he heard God's plan? I mean, I can figure Joshua like a coach for the football teams. Like I said, I'm happy it's football season. But drawing up the game plan, thinking about who he's going to put where and, you know, how they're going to come in and, and, and what's going to happen, how it's going to play out and contingency plans. And then God shows up to Joshua, the commander of God's army, but not the commander of the Lord's army. And he says, all right, Joshua, here's the plan. It's very simple. What is... God tell Joshua to do with his mighty army. March. Now let's just think about this. What has Israel been doing for the last 40 years? Marching. For the last 40 years, this massive group of people, including the, the mighty men of valor in Israel's army, have been marching. They've been picking things up and carrying to the destination that God tells them to go. They set it down. They build camp. They stay there for a little bit, and then they do it all again, and they march 40 years, 40 years. So God comes to Joshua in this moment, this fortified city, this impossible task, and God says, here's what you're going to do, Joshua. Here's how I've given this city to you. You're going to take all of your mighty men, all of your army, and you're going to march. You're going to do what I've been teaching you to do for the last 40 years. You're going to put to practice every Everything that you've learned for the last 40 years, you're going to simply march. You're not going to say a word. You're not going to do anything. The only sound's going to be heard is the seven trumpets from the seven priests. I mean, it's like the largest marching band with the most pathetic instrument symphony going on. And they're just marching around the city one day, and then they go back to camp. And I can't imagine what Jericho's thinking. What are they doing? Oh, here they come again. Oh, there they go. Over and over again. Forty years of practice to take this pivotal city. And the point is this, the focus was not on what Israel could do or even who Israel was. The focus was on who God is and what God could do. Israel had this massive army. We're going to talk about it a little bit more in a second. But in Numbers chapter 2, we're told Israel's army, just its army, was 600,000 plus. That's just its army. That's not even all the camp. That's just the men who are capable to go fight. So this massive army, but it wasn't going to be contingent about what this army could do. It wasn't even going to be contingent about who Israel was and being the promised seed of Abraham. It was going to be fully contingent and fully reliant upon what God could do in this moment. And the same thing goes for your and my salvation. If we ever start coming to church trying to say that we are righteous or prove ourselves that we are good before a holy God, we've completely misrepresented the gospel and the salvation message. If you can do anything and I can do anything to earn my salvation, to prove to God that I'm worthy of it, then I've completely missed the point. It's not about what I bring to the table. It's not about who I am in this very moment. It's about what God has done for me in His holiness through His Son, Jesus Christ, by His love and His grace and His mercy, so that He might receive the glory. I bring nothing to the table. I can be the smartest theological man on the planet, which I am not. But I still bring nothing to the table when it comes to my salvation. Israel brought nothing to the table when it came to the battle of Jericho. 
And we catch this because, did you all catch a magical number through chapter 6? Seven. The number seven in the Bible, and I'm not into Bible codes or anything like that, so don't think that's what I'm doing here. But there's times in Scripture where certain words are used over and over again, and that's really for us to pick up on. The number seven in chapter six is used 14 times. Now, 14 times, that's two times seven. But what's that do to help us? Well, the number seven is the representation of total completion and perfection. God's plan is that this be a total, complete, and perfect battle plan which can only come from Him. See, the focus is on Him. The other focus isn't even on the army. The army is mentioned a handful of times at best, but you know what's mentioned ten times throughout this chapter? The ark. The ark of the covenant of the Lord. The ark of the Lord. The ark, however it's mentioned, Ten times in this, in this chapter, number ten in Scripture is representation of God and His holiness and His law. See, the point is Jericho wasn't going to be Joshua's plan. It wasn't going to be Israel's plan. It was going to be God's plan. And that's what people need to see coming out of our life. See, God's plan for our redemption flowing out. That's the fruit we bear. We're saved by grace. We are sinners before a holy God, yet in His mercy and grace and compassion, He's forgiven us. And God's plan is that everyone else be a part of His family. And the strange thing is, just as God uses Israel in this moment, God wants to use us to do that plan, to play out His redemptive story. But there's another strange thing that happens with Jericho. As a kid, I thought, oh, that's awesome. Anybody as a kid admit that they read the story of Jericho and then went and shouted at a wall to see if something happened? Okay, just all right. Uh, preacher kid thing, I guess. But Verse 5, it says that all the people were to shout with a great shout. So march around the city, and then on the seventh day, after the seventh time, the ram's horns are going to blow really loud, and all the people are going to shout with a great shout, and the walls are going to fall down. They're going to fall flat on themselves. Is that even possible? Now, this is a miraculous story. But some of us struggle with the miraculous, and we want explanation. Well, in December of 2013, there is a team called the Seattle Seahawks. In December 2013, the Seattle Seahawks set the Guinness Book of World Records for the loudest stadium in the world. Of course, us Chiefs fans know what happened two weeks later, right? All right. Anyway, the difference was in Seattle, the decibel level got so loud and they were actually measuring for an earthquake. And they found that when that record was broken in Seattle, there was a man-made earthquake that was produced on the magnitude of one to two, which is a low earthquake, but still nonetheless an earthquake. Now, Seattle Seahawks, they averaged about 69,000 people in their stadium. And that particular day, there was over 69,000 plus. Now, Numbers 2, we read that Israel's army is 600,000 plus men. That's over nine times the size of what happened in Seattle. So it is hypothetically possible that God gets this massive army around Jericho and they create such a noise at such a level, it creates a massive earthquake to bring the city walls to the ground. 
If you like that hypothetical situation, great. Because, I mean, you could, you could say that would work. But the point isn't what the people did, but what God did. And here is where we can take it. It was the power of one voice. They were to all shout with a great shout. 600,000, all with one voice aiming in one direction. And this is a huge lesson for us to take as children of God because we have one voice and one message to preach. That is Jesus Christ. We present Jesus Christ. We be Jesus to other people. And when we get distracted by any other thing, we distort the message. And people hear the wrong voice. Preach Jesus. Preach the words, Paul told Timothy. Be prepared in and out of season. We may gather here as a whole congregation on Sunday morning, but when we leave here, we go out as his ambassadors, as his missionaries, to preach the one name, Jesus Christ. And we do it through word, and we do it through action, we do it by being, being visible in people's lives that we may not always agree with. But we preach Jesus. Why else do we need to know about this story in Jericho? I mean, really, this story, it's one of those stories, it, it, if they made a movie of Jericho, it would be G, right? At best. It may, may not even get a rating. And there's a lot of things that are, are said over and over again. I mean, it could have just been like a clip of a chapter, not a whole chapter. So why do we need this entire chapter about this story of Jericho? And I want us to see a couple things before we wrap up. The first thing I want us to see with the story of Jericho and the city falling is that God did not call Israel to do something beyond their means. Chapter 1 through 5 build up to Jericho. It seemed like the task was going to be impossible. I think sometimes in our own life we can look at things and feel like the task is impossible. We try to figure it out, we try to plan it out, and then we end up getting mad and angry at the circumstance or sometimes at God saying, what is going on? Why are you doing this? Don't you even love me anymore? And we become overwhelmed by that. But Joshua wasn't to see Jericho, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Joshua was to see God. Because instead of focusing on a task, he was supposed to see the God who can do all things. Instead of worrying about the impossible, he was supposed to see the God who makes the impossible possible. You know, Matthew chapter 7, one of those chapters I go to a lot because I'll be honest, man, my confession, I worry a lot. And the Bible commands me not to. <laughs> so I'm really, it's a really battle for me, but... There's a statement in there that Jesus makes in that, and you can read it on your own time if you like, that the Gentiles seek after such things. And that phrase Gentile there in chapter 7 of Matthew refers to people who do not believe in God and do not trust God. And so the teaching there is that not to be like them, not to worry, not to be consumed by these things of this world, by worldly possessions and worldly pleasures, but simply, as Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Because the people who don't believe in God, they worry about those things. You know what Jericho is worried about? Themselves. And you know what Jericho put their faith in? Their wall. What they could control. And God was going to do something 
through Israel that was not beyond their own means. And in your own life, God doesn't call us to do things that are beyond our own means. God simply called all of us to share the love that we've come to know. Love God, love people. He has simply called you, not, not, not just Pastor Mike, not just Jason, not just our deacons and elders. He's called every one of his children to share about the love that we've come to know. And this is not beyond our means because you know what we like to talk about? Things that we love. We like to talk about things that we find joy in. We like to talk about things we get excited about. And God simply says, you know what? As you've been practicing to do that your entire life, to talk about those things you're excited about and things you're in love with and really like, do that with me. That's what worship is. The reality is we are going to give our worship to something. We are going to give glory to something. Why not to the one who loves us back? Second thing we see here, if you look in verse 9, the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets. That's the army. And then the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. Do you see this military procession? Because I've, I've read this numerous times, and this just kind of like 3D'd out to me as I was preparing this week. There's an army, and then the sinners, the priests, and the ark of the Lord, and then there's a rear guard. And the ark of the Lord is representation of the presence of God. And so what we see here with the battle of Jericho is God was to be the center of this march. That's why it's a ceremonial march, not a military march. He was to be the center. He was to be the focus. Where I mentioned Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight or level. We are called, no matter what battle, no matter what impossible task lays ahead, we are called to continually make God the center of our life. And the final thing, by this position in verse 9, we see that the presence of God is to be protected. They weren't protecting the army. They weren't protecting the camp with the women and children. What were they protecting? They were protecting the ark. The presence of God. And in our own life, no matter what we face, this is what we keep God the center by protecting the presence of God in our life. And so how do we protect the presence of God? Like I said, I love football. This last week, as, as we got back from vacation, I got on my good old ozone sports app i think that's what it's called sports ozone app ozone sports one of those two and as soon as i popped up man the very first thing i saw was high school football fall previews and like team after team of all the teams in our area just like previews of what they got or what they don't have and so you know i found stratford's coach Chester. i was doing my homework i went and read your real little review about stratford and then I've also got some ministry friends at other churches in the area, so I wanted to go see what their teams are going to be like. And I've got uh, friends I went to college with that are coaching on football teams in the area, so I wanted to go see what their teams be like. You know what I read over and over again? 
the coaches pretty much, I mean, I don't know if you all did like a conference together and like you decide what we're going to say, the ozone or what, but over and over again, the coaches said this, we lost a lot of good players, a lot of good seniors to graduation. We've got a lot of players that don't have a whole lot of experience. They're going to have to plug in and we're going to try to work this thing out. But I'll tell you what, if we keep to the basics and the fundamentals, by the fourth or fifth week of this season, we're going to have a really good team on, on the field. And so their plan was, as two-a-day started, we're going to go to the fundamentals. We're going to go to the basics. And I, I love football, but football really, I think, is a simple game. You block well, anybody can run through the hole. You tackle well, nobody can move, right? I mean, it's just two real things. I mean, yeah, we want to see airing it out, but one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, Lombardi, they named the trophy after him. He just ran well and tackled well. He did, L, he did fundamentals and basics. And so over and over again, okay, we're going to keep it simple for the kids so they can get the strategy and so we have a good team by the time we get to a certain point in the season. Fundamentals and basics. How do we protect the presence of God? How is Israel to protect the presence of God? They were to do a fundamental task, a basic task of marching in a specific order where the presence of God would be protected in the center and he would be the focus of their march. How do we protect the presence of God? By doing the fundamentals of spiritual discipline. How are your fundamentals? How are your basics in your walk with God? Are you reading the scriptures for yourself? Are you studying the scriptures for yourself? Are you memorizing the scriptures for yourself? And I've heard this over and over again. I can't memorize scripture. Yes, you can, because almost all of us in here still have ice, ice, baby memorized, right? <laughs> you can memorize stuff. It just takes a little time. It takes a little diligence. It takes a little practice. How is your prayer life? How is your tithing? You know, tithing's not about money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He paves his, his streets in gold. He builds mansions for his children. He doesn't need our money. It's about trust. Your, how's, your, how's your trust in God? That he is going to continue to provide for you. How's your thankfulness? Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving in our hearts. How's your worship? I admit, man, vacation came at a perfect time because, um, man, I was just, I was really feeling like running on fumes, spiritually, physically, mentally. Um, I mean, we had a, we've had a great, a great year so far at Harvest Hill, a great year of ministry. But I've noticed that I, I was just getting so tired, and I was just tired all the time. And so my fundamentals got out of, out of whack. And this is going to sound really weird for a lot of you. But I stopped reading my Bible. Now, hear this out. I read my Bible every day, every week. I, I read books about the Bible. I write notes about the Bible. I listen to podcasts about the Bible. All... Uh, to prep for this moment to preach a message. And so I was, my relationship with God was based upon what I felt like God wanted me to preach rather than what God wanted to say to me. 
And so we went on vacation. One thing I love about vacation, as I said, is there's no schedules, no tasks. I, I, you know, I want to go to the beach and the pool, and I want to eat good seafood at least twice. And we, we overdid it this year, but it's all good. You know, blessings, blessings. Um, but during that week, that's what God keep hammering them. And, and I didn't even deal with chapter 6 yet while I was on vacation. I wasn't doing that on vacation. That was about my, my, my relationship with God, my relationship with my family and my wife. And, but that's what God kept hammering at me. He said, where have you been? You, know, you post about all these things on Facebook and on Instagram. And yeah, I'm glad you're taking care of your body, but where have you been with me? And I realized that I was, I was not reading the Word of God to allowing God my Heavenly Father to speak to my heart. And it's so easy to get out of those fundamentals and those basics. This is why touchdowns break, right, Coach? Someone missed a tackle. Something you've been practicing since day one. And this is why things break in our own life. Because we get out of the basics and the fundamentals of our relationship with God, and so when something happens, it's like the world explodes. and We can't handle it. Because we haven't been putting God the center and we haven't been protecting the presence of God in our life. So how are your fundamentals? How are your basics? How is your relationship with God? I want to return to one more thing and we'll wrap up here. It's that phrase devoted to destruction because I know there's probably some people here that have issues with that. Or you may know someone who does. <clears throat> We've dealt with it in the past. You can go check out our, uh, our podcast. We've already preached, I've already preached on that particular issue. But the reality of devoted destruction and what that means to us today or someone here today or someone in your life today is that people who are living without God are living under a ban of destruction. That is the reality we need to see them in. If someone does not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, that is here today, you are living under God's ban of destruction. God's judgment is coming for all people, the righteous and the wicked. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us do stupid things. All of us lose track. All of us lose focus. All of us forget to focus on our relationship with God. All of us forget to pursue after Him and seek Him first. All of us do that. All of us lie. White lies, still a lie to God. All of us do it. Because all of us do it, we fall short of God's glory, His holiness. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages, the cost of that sin, the cost of that simple mistake is death. That word death means eternal separation from the God of life. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this doesn't come by anything we can do. The Romans chapter 3 verse 22 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who, all who believe, for there is no distinction. It means this is a gift just as God was giving Jericho. God is giving His gift of salvation to you here this morning if you've yet to accept it. And the Bible says, When I believe in my heart, 
that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I confess with my mouth that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. And when I do that, when I make that profession of faith, that personal profession of faith, what happens is God's ban of destruction over me gets lifted. Not by anything I could do to deserve it, but simply because of God's great love for me. And that may be the gift you need to accept this morning. But you also may be here as a brother or sister in Christ. And like me, you realize you've gotten off the basics and the fundamentals. You've gotten so distracted by all these other things going on around you that you forget to focus on the most important thing you have going for you in your life. How's your relationship with God? Maybe you need to come and just kneel before the Father and ask Him to help you refocus and have the strength to do what you, you know you can't do on your own. I couldn't do it on my own. Maybe you're here and you need to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, for the first time. I'm going to invite you to come here in a second. We're going to pray together. But if God's laid something on your heart that you need to respond to, this is our time of invitation. I'm inviting you to come and respond to what God has laid before you and placed on your heart. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to come down the aisle. We can pray together. We'll celebrate together. I'm going to ask Charlie to come on down here be as well. And, and Mike, if you can come down here. You can pray with them if you'd like. But now it's time for us to be not just hearers of his word, but doers. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your mercy, your grace and your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that nothing is too big for you. There's no wall that you cannot knock down. And Lord, thank you that you don't ask us to do something beyond our own our own abilities, something we're not capable of doing. Let us be a people who are loving you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength so we can love the people you've placed around us. Let us proclaim you. Let all the people think of and see when they see Harvest Hill, Hill is your glory. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who don't know you as your Lord and Savior, Father, that they would not stay where they are, but they would walk down. They would let it be known they want to be saved. They want to be forgiven. Lord, let this time of invitation bring you glory and you alone. Praise all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.